you know, my mom was always teaching me about how, you know, you don't buy the branded can of corn, you buy the no-name brand can of corn because they're probably made and canned in the same facility, but they just have a different brand label on them and all the marketing spend that goes into that. So I learned those types of frugality basics very well as a child. I never even would have thought of that. Yeah, that's a great point. A hundred percent. It's the same thing with makeup. There's a lot of books like Bobby for the women out there, like Bobby Brown wrote a book about how a lot of makeup is all literally it is the exact same product made in the exact same major manufacturing facilities around the world. It's just different packaging and different money spent on the marketing for the brand. And that's why things cost twice as much sometimes. What's good, everybody? Thank you for tuning in to episode 30 of Highly Invested, where we invest in ourselves, talk about personal growth, and we ask entrepreneurs and those practicing the financial independence retire early movement about the best investments in time, money, and energy that they've made that have gotten them to where they are today. Hey, everybody. So today on the show, I've got the best-selling author of Young, Fun, and Financially Free and the founder of Black Hawk Financial, Leanna Hawkins. Leanna, how are you doing today? I am awesome, Jordan. How are you? Good. I'm doing well. I'm surviving out here like everyone yeah. else. <laughs> I know. I feel the same way here in the big city, the big lonely city of New York right now. Yeah. Well, what's that like? Because I'm in a tiny city and there's still, you know, people out and about and it doesn't seem like things have changed too much. But so what have you noticed? Well, I find that generally I'm a very calm and like let things roll off my shoulder type of person and I really don't get worked up about a lot of things. I think that's also because I'm so used to working in the financial markets where it's, you know, probably back when I first started or when I was a late teenager watching CNBC and all that, I was used to being in an industry that was so media driven and so hyped up and it's up and it's down and it's bounce back and it's, you know, the sell off and all these, this terminology that we hear all the time. And that was exciting. And over the last 12 years in working in the industry with regard to the industry itself and then I guess just life itself and life's up and downs and lessons that I've had. I, I do think I am a pretty relaxed person and just kind of, <laughs> uh, yeah, chill for lack of a better uh, description, a chill person. That being said, it was just last night, I think, for me that being here a single person with no kids or no significant other other than my little dog in the city and lucky to have the dog for sure what um, type of dog I, do you have he's a jack russell chihuahua he's a, a rescue from san francisco so he's uh 23 Huge. pounds you know not too small not too big he's a good size but uh yeah it was just last night that i started to get a little bit weird about it and my whole family is in canada and in australia so my all out of the united states so last night and then this morning my sort of last couple of friends in the city, uh, girlfriends and guy friends that are, you know, around my age or just people that I would see normally socially, they've all left the city. So all of my friends now are back at home wherever they grew up with their families or with their Oh, crap. Eh? They're kind of jumping ship to be safe. And yeah. And I don't home. blame them. I mean, that's the whole thing right. is like I would go somewhere else too if it wasn't a different country and traveling to different countries is a challenge right now. And I have the dog, so I'd have to bring the dog with me. So anyway makes more sense for me to stay in the city, but as a, a single person being here in a, a little apartment and there's stuff on the news now, you know, Donald Trump on the news today saying that this could go on till July or August. Yeah. I'm like, I'm not going to make it. 
I mean, I will, but you know what I mean? It's like July or August that my mental stat, my mental status started to change. And so I, I started to call my sister in Australia. She's thinking she's a doctor. She kind of calmed me down a bit, but it's not, I'm not worried about my financial implications, although there are some, and I can go into that as well mm-hmm. if you like. But it's, and it's not even the health implications. It's just kind of like, it's really lonely to be in New York City right now as a single person. And I think sometimes people forget that because even <laughs> I'm looking all over Instagram and I, I really cut myself off from Instagram all of today. I haven't even updated my story today. And I'm usually pretty good at that. But it's like all these people on their Instagram stories there, I see people posting like, oh, my husband and I, or my kids and I are watching a, a new funny movie every night and we're playing a different board game. I'm like, well, that's that's great for you. But like, I'm just sitting here looking at the news by myself wondering, okay, um, when am I ever going to have a life again? And yeah, trying to make decisions, but like how and when and like, what's the time frame? Yeah. And I think that honestly, it was when I was just out at the park right now, because I thank goodness, I've never I've always been so grateful to live in the Central Park South area, very close to the park. Um, yeah. yeah, but I'm even more grateful for it now than ever. And so when I was there, I decided to call a few of my friends that I know are also single or on their own and, you know, not in the same city or country as their families. And I know that worldwide, you know, that's probably a struggle for some people right now, feeling lonely and a little bit scared. And so I tried to give a few of my friends in the same situation a phone call just to see how they're doing and what they're up to so we can give each other a little bit of comfort. So, and I think it's the same for other people. I think if anyone listening to this or you have elderly people in your life or people that are susceptible even more susceptible than we are that really can't even go outside to the park because it would be too dangerous like definitely give them a call and let them know you're thinking of them and just catch up over the phone try to stay social because it's a weird time and and we don't know how long it's going to go on for and obviously that's why the financial markets are affected as well yeah it's true communication is really so easy we just make it seem like a much bigger thing so when you're when your mental like stability gets taken for a bit of a ride or it definitely is a good way to keep you in check yeah so yeah exactly like right now it's it's fine and well enough to you know check out your friend's instagram profile see if they have anything on their story send them a text but i think it's really important right now to reach out to people over the phone hear their voice and calm each other down because that's what's really going to help right now or you know have a a skype video call or you know facetime FaceTime, or something yeah Yeah. because yeah just seeing people's face hearing their voice i think can really help so yeah, well, hopefully this this helps you out a little bit too. I'm by myself in Ottawa, so we can survive this. We got it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Ottawa's not a big place either, so no, it's yeah, you got to reach out to other people, and yeah, especially reaching yeah. out to your grandparents or elderly or people that are otherwise susceptible to getting contracting illnesses. It's important to reach out to them too. Yeah, I'm fortunate that my family's here, but I myself am just a bit of a like a a traveler, so I'm tempted, you know, most days to just have thoughts to want to take off and go somewhere for a little while. And it's times like this that makes me have to realize that I'm grateful that I am here and that I can take advantage of being close by. So yeah, absolutely. I'm sure you you uh, you know what that's like as well. And so, where did you grow up in Vancouver? Yeah, so I grew up in Vancouver um, when my book Young, Fun, and Financially Free came out. A couple of years ago, I was still living in Vancouver. I now live in New York City. And um, okay. I'd been back in Vancouver for about five years. Prior to that, I was working full-time in finance, which was sort of my last full-time job before I came back to Canada um, and started my company. And that was in London. I went to school in Toronto. I went to Ryerson. Cool. And um, I also did a program at Harvard in journalism and at Pepperdine in Los Angeles in private equity post-graduation. So I did... I, 
kind of lived and done things in different areas of the US, Canada, London, and I lived in Southern France for a little while as well. And now I'm, you know, finally living the big life in New York. <laughs> Amazing. Well, what, is, what has been one of your favorite places to live out of all those? I, I love New York. I love London yeah. as well. I'm definitely a city girl, um, but my family is also, you know, very Pacific Northwest. We've always had a family beach home on the beach outside of Seattle, Washington. So that that's hard to pass up as well. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, you know what? I, I love, I do love my alone time and I love beach time, family time, cabins and hiking and all that as well. But in terms of my personal business side, I really flourish and sort of feel the fire within when I'm walking up and down Madison Avenue going to meetings here or when I'm walking around the city of London. Um, I really do miss London. I haven't even been back actually. Oh, that's a shame. That's too bad. Yeah. London's a great city. I know. I've just been busy, you know, writing the book, starting the company and I hadn't, I hadn't had any business trip reasons to go there. So I haven't been back in a bit, but I love London. It's like 25 cities in one. I'm, I'm sure you'll you'll get back there at some point just out of luck and, and it'll align for you like that. But yeah, no, I remember going there and it was quite just the, the old beauty, the architecture mixed in with everything that was new and the, the walkability of the city actually. So Yeah, and that's what I love about New York too. I just spend hours and hours every day here walking and <laughs> my friends think I'm crazy, but <laughs> like I will I will walk from Tribeca which is at the very south southern point of Manhattan, all the way up to my house at uh, Central Park South, <laughs> which is a hundred blocks or something. They think they think I'm nuts, but I just love it. I'm still I'm, I've only been here nine months or something full time now, so I'm still just really soaking in the city, and I love it. Okay, sweet. Well, yeah, good luck with that. I'm sure you've got a lot of uh, potential opportunities there. It's one of the best places to be. Mm-hmm. And so what were some of your earliest money memories and what was it about finance or getting into, you know, educating people around money? Uh, was there anything growing up that, that kind of put you, set you on that path? Yeah, I would say there's sort of a few pivotal things like, you know, a lot of people either did learn about money and or didn't learn about money when they were growing up. Um, and that's maybe from an investment side or from a just a regular personal finance, budgeting, spending, saving side. Mine was definitely just from the budgeting, spending, saving side. My mom was a grade one teacher, now retired, and my dad is an entrepreneur in the engineering, mechanical engineering and um, so no one was from the perfect mix. Yeah, you know, they <laughs> the say a lot of teachers and engineers um, end up together, which is funny. Um, they've always told me that. Um, but uh, no, nothing. You know, people often, especially when I was younger in my career, would ask, "Oh, your your daddy must have been a broker, or an advisor, or something," because I was just this. The reason why my name my my name my company is Blackhawk Financial. My last name is Hawkins. Right. And when I was young in the industry, the guys, all the brokers and stuff, would all call me Little Hawk. It's <laughs> sort of, you know, it's a great aggressive, yeah, this aggressive yeah. young woman in finance, like going to all the dinners and all the networking events and just handing out business cards and hustling, you know. And um, a lot of those guys, I and and the occasional woman too. There's a lot more women in the industry now, but even you know, back in mid early 2000s, there wasn't a lot of, it wasn't as many women. Yeah, no, I mean, now. hopefully there's more now, but I can imagine. Yeah, there are. And especially New York, honestly, New York in that way, being here full time now, rather than just meeting with people that I've met at networking events and conferences, whenever I'm in town visiting or having meetings, I do see way more women here now living here and being here on a day to day basis, which is great to see. But yeah, they're not, they're not calling me a little hawk, but a lot, yeah, a lot of those, it's so important about, you know, who, you know, your, your network is your net worth. And yeah. a lot of those, those brokers and those guys, yeah, mostly men that, 
um, mentored me and sort of introduced me to people back when I was 20, 21, they're still doing the same thing for me now. And they're still setting up opportunities for me and sending them, you know, potential clients and stuff my way now. So yeah. it's so important to foster every relationship that you have in your career, no matter what industry you're in. And um, yeah, so sorry, back to my parents, I would say oh, growing yeah, up, okay. I, yeah, I learned a lot about, you know, my mom was always teaching me about how, you know, you don't buy the branded can of corn, you buy the no name brand can of corn, because they're probably made and canned in the same facility, but they just have a different brand label on them and all the marketing spend that goes into that. So I learned those types of frugality basics very well as a child. I never even would have thought of that. Yeah, that's a great 100%. point. It's the same thing with makeup. There's a lot of books like Bobby for the women out there, like Bobby Brown wrote a book about how a lot of makeup is all literally, it is the exact same product made in the exact same major manufacturing facilities around the world. It's just different packaging and different money spent on the marketing for the brand. And wow. that's why things cost twice as much sometimes. And yeah, so that's, you know, I learned those things really well. My dad and my my grandfather and my uncle were all very um, successful entrepreneurs that had started from nothing and, you know, built really successful businesses and also didn't spoil the hell out of me. I think that's the worst thing I see when I have young friends, especially there's a lot of friends here in New York because it's so expensive to live here. And a lot of, the, a lot of right. them, you know, need support from their parents or just have always received support from their parents. And, and that's fine to a certain extent. Of course, everybody I'm sure in their life would love to have support financially, mentally, emotionally from their family. Um, yeah. But sometimes it can hold you back from becoming financially independent. And um, my parents were not like that. They did help support me through school, but there was always a lot of things that were on my back. And I had to, to prove the value of education and the value of my life and my gratitude for it to be able to do different things. Um, and then I would say I pretty much bought my first house right out of school in Vancouver that, you know, you were saying you were going to ask some questions about my best financial decisions. Okay. That's the best yeah. Well, I ever made. At that timing was, sounds perfect. Yeah. <laughs> I would say that. that was sort of the precipice to sort of build uh, upon my net worth in my twenties. So yeah, I was probably, how old would I have been? About 20 when I graduated college, I went in a little bit early because I have uh, a late birthday and had kind of skipped grade 12. I didn't go to grade 12. I just did distance ed. I was basically always a hustler and I always wanted to make money from a young age. And I was like, well, if I can leave high school a year early and just do distance education, I finished by October and ended up having a full-time job for the rest of 12th grade. And then, you know, saved up a whole bunch of money in Vancouver and then went to school in Toronto. So I have always had that mindset about, and then I started working in the markets while I was going to university. So I, yeah, I've always been money hungry and that sounds terrible, but you know, I don't care. Like a, a lot of times people are like, oh. <laughs> it sounds bad, but if you want to use it for the right reasons, right? Then it's not. Yeah. People have the I wrong mean, that's idea. that's the whole thing. Yeah. The, I mean, you can be, you can be money hungry. You can be a hustler. You can make money moves, all of these sort of coined key terms that millennials use now you don't have to be ashamed of it as long as you're not a beep about it you know like yeah <laughs> I don't know if I'm allowed to curse on this podcast oh um, you totally can yeah okay well yeah as long as you're not an asshole like yeah do good do good things the more money you make in life the more people I can employ the more money I can give to charity the more I can be involved in charities and sponsor different events the more people I can educate all the proceeds of my book and the book costs a lot of money too the book Publicity costs a lot of money. Having a publicist, having you know, flying around right. for all that kind of stuff, a hundred percent of the yeah, nothing are, comes cheap. Yeah, right? exactly. That mm -hmm. all takes investment, investment in yourself, and time, and it takes 
straight up money to be able to do all that, um, tens of thousands of dollars and 100% of the proceeds of the book go to the We um, Foundation, which started out of Ontario, Craig and Mark Kielberger, and they're all over the world now, and it's the We Movement. They build villages. Oh, I've heard of them, actually. Yeah, yeah. I, I think they were mm-hmm. from Ottawa. Um, they're, really? Yeah, they're, they would be in their 40s now, but it's a now it's a worldwide organization on Instagram. They're at We Movement, if anyone wants to check it out. Um, and they build villages in th- third world countries, and there's sort of five pillars of the organization, and the fifth pillar is called opportunities. So once they build villages, water systems, do all these physical things, education for people to be able to live their lives in this new community, they need to be able to make sure the people are going to be able to support themselves through income opportunities, through economic stability within the village itself. And so that's the opportunities pillar. And so all the money of the book goes to the We Movement's opportunities. Oh, that's amazing. Good for you. Yeah, and I think it's just just doing yeah. something like that that's sort of directly related to income and economic sustainability. I, I wanted to do that specifically because I want anyone that reads the book, comes across the book, sees it on TV or a podcast or radio or whatever, that if you're listening to those forms of media or seeing the book in a Western civilized country, you have all the opportunity in the world, no matter what your financial situation is currently, to find a way out and to have an opportunity from someone, from somewhere in your country of residence that people, hundreds of millions of people around the world, like people in Kenya and all these other places are never going to have. Yeah. So we need to be grateful for those opportunities and find them where they are because they are there. They're around. You can find a way to get out of your debt, get out of your home situation or your socioeconomic community if it's not serving you you know there is a way to break the cycle of all those things yeah for sure no that I, I like that you mentioned that it's so true if you live in north america and you have an internet connection and a roof over your head with food in your stomach there's just no excuse to complain about not having opportunities really and that's also just with the mindset of knowing that you can kind of go out and get it yourself and it's not something to wait for mm-hmm. and yeah i think you know um, the cat's out of the bag with writing books. I think most people don't write books to try to make money. Some people go into it thinking that they will. I just went I just yeah. went into it thinking I don't even care about the money. It's not about that. Of course the book serves as marketing value for my company and some of the things I do working as a, you know, quote unquote influencer with different brands and in financial services and in the media, but it's it was never about I never thought when I wrote this book and it came out a couple of years ago that all of what has happened since then in the last two years from it would happen. And I, I think a lot of that is I do believe in like karma and energy. And if you put good things out into the world, you give value, 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 value. And you sow the seeds. I had a post yes. about this week, your my friend Tim Story, he's a life coach and celebrity kind of motivational speaker and stuff. And he's always telling me you have to sow the seeds, sow the seeds, sow the seeds. And soon enough, you're going to reap, you're going to reap the rewards and it's going to be harvest time. And I've been sowing the seeds for a long time. And I know a lot of you listening have been too, (laughs) but you just have to keep doing it. And yeah, and not everything is going to hit, not everything is going to become a a beautiful oak tree or whatever you want it to be. But um, whatever your analogy is, but some of them will. And you just have to keep putting the good out there because it's going to come back to you. Yeah, that's amazing. I, I love that you just just touched on that as well because I'd written an ebook a couple, oh, I guess 20, the winter of 2019. But I also was just like, you know what? Let me just put this out there because I've never done anything like that before. Mm-hmm. And, you know, just the thought of trying it. And I'm, I'm, I'm sure you're just quite glad that you took that initiative and, and stuck with it. 
and and how long did it take you to write the book just to put like that effort into perspective it uh it was fast actually like the rest of my personality it was not procrastinated i probably started talking to it about the publisher in may Good. in june i started writing the book and by september it was done so intro conclusion outline 10 chapters we sort of had like 13 sections to write and figure out starting with the outline and i said 13 weeks i said every week i'm going to do a section or like a chapter so whether it's the intro conclusion or 10 chapters and then yeah we had a phone call every week and i would submit a chapter they'd go over it we'd have the call then we talk about the outline for the next chapter and then do that and then I'd submit it. And so they really helped keep me on track and I wrote it in three months, which they even thought was insane. But for me, <laughs> it was summertime and you know, you probably know in the, you know, capital markets and usually in the a boring space, time. Yeah, summer's really quiet. There's you know, most industries I think there's no conferences I had to travel to and I was like, you know what, let's just get this done over the summer. Smart, um, yeah. Well, yeah, it so. goes to show that you're very efficient, at least, and you're not wasting time. I'm sure your publisher was like, geez, we need to cut down on these deadlines we give people. <laughs> I, yeah, oh, I am definitely the master of efficiency, the master of multitasking. I think a lot of women do multitask. But I am like, I'm the person that's on a conference call while I'm walking in the door and I'm taking off my shoes and I'm feeding <laughs> the dog and I'm putting the laundry in and I am also turning on CNBC to see how the markets close that day, muting it because I'm still on the conference call. I'm always doing 18 things at once and usually it works out, you know, obviously if it's something very important, kind of a very important conference call or something. <laughs> yeah, it'll come out. I but... sit down and, and focus on that. But yeah, I'm, I'm always doing a million things and that's for the most part has... Uh, serve me well yeah well it's, it's almost like a superpower as well because you're not stopping there and thinking about like oh should i really be putting this much time and driving yourself crazy going down a rabbit hole of thinking about it like you just do it do it do it and yeah i am a quick a quick decision maker even the book you know it was actually a client suggestion that said hey you know my daughter is going to college like can you talk to her you're so good with you know talking about money in a chill way and like kind of Aside from last night, I had a little bit of a freak out. But yeah, I do tend to be yeah. a pretty chill person when I talk about things and I try to explain th explain money and finances to friends or people that are younger than me or people that are older than me in a a way that doesn't make them feel stupid because yeah, nobody should feel so stupid important. that, that right. you don't know any of this stuff. I mean, the majority of us, I like I say, I learned about the personal finance side, you know, basic frugality, spending, saving when I was young, but... It wasn't anyone in my family that said, hey, Liana, you should start buying stocks. <laughs> or you should open like, a TFSA. Yeah. Like. Yeah. Yeah. Even, like it's people in my life now, my aunts and uncles and parents, they're like, what the hell's a TFSA? I'm like, uh, how do you not know that? Because in my own family, I'll just joke with them. But then, and then I'm like, okay, no, here's what it is. Like maximum contribution per year. The earnings are tax free. Um, it's after-tax money, that kind of thing. So yeah, good. Yeah, I mean, you just can't make people feel stupid, and that and that's why people are afraid to ask at their bank. That's why people are afraid to ask a financial advisor questions because they don't want to look like an idiot. Yeah, I'm. It's true. And that's one thing I'm luckily. Yeah, I'm never afraid to look like an idiot. So I've always asked so many questions growing up. I wanted to learn everything. I'm such a keener, and <laughs> I don't apologize for it. Well, in the best way, it seems like. I'll, I'll get the three main or the main question that I ask guests out of the way. So like, what are some, uh, I guess you touched on the house earlier. You can dive into that a little bit more, but I like to ask typically, what are three of the biggest investments in time, money, and energy uh, that you've made over your lifetime that have helped get you to where you are today? I would say the first, well, let's start with money. 
So yeah, the first the first big okay. money investment I made was buying a place in Vancouver when I was 21. And I still rarely in my early 30s now have any friends that have done the same thing in Vancouver. Most people, I mean, Vancouver, Toronto, any Canadian major market is expensive. Yes. And, and getting more and more expensive. Exactly. But. Yeah. And I mean, the thing with that is I always told my friends that it honest, it wasn't that hard. And I write about this in the book because I luckily in my own mind when I was in college, since I was always kind of hustling and all that, and I always wanted to own a place so that it could appreciate and things like that. I knew as soon as I got out of school and I came back to Vancouver, I said, okay, I don't want to just rent a place and like get a job. I want to buy a place so someone and then maybe rent it out so someone else is paying the mortgage. And I knew that right off the bat. So before I even moved back to Vancouver from school in Toronto and started renting a place, I moved actually right back in with my parents. I eventually got a job as a financial advisor and I saved every damn penny. Like I was so smart, cheap. but my job also sucked. Like I was, I was making my first job was 29,000 a year. Then I got promoted to $32,000 a year. And this is anyone that's listening in us dollars. That's like 22,000 a year. It's nothing. And even in Canada, that's nothing. Like even back then I knew it was nothing. I knew it was terrible, but it was 2009. The markets were in the hole. Like I, I really couldn't find another job. So I took what oh, I true, yeah. yeah. I mean, I took what I could find, and uh, I saved every penny. And then eventually, you know, the next year, eight months later or something, I got a better job that paid forty thousand, thirty-eight thousand, and then forty thousand. So small raises. And by the time I was making forty thousand a year, then I had already saved up the money I needed for a down payment. And so, and I think I'd saved a little bit of money in school because while I was in college, I had four jobs. And I was Holy just crap. a psycho. Yeah, I was. Can you list them off pretty yeah, quickly? Yeah, you know, funny. I can't even remember some of them sometimes. Okay, so these are the ones I can remember. I was a hostess at a restaurant on King, or not King Street, not Queen Street, Young, like, Street? Young Street. Yeah, like that Main Street. I was a hostess at kind of a random restaurant. Classic, yeah. I worked as like a, a front desk receptionist at a medical aesthetic spa in Yorkville. I was part of the Molson dream team, which we would do, me and other girls would do um, events at clubs on the weekends and we would give out like coupons for free six packs to college students um, that were like coming and like whenever they bought a Molson beer at the bar, they got a, a coupon for a free six pack from LCB. Is that where you learn your marketing and, skills? And we would pass those out <laughs> to people at the clubs. Yeah. So I was working till like four in the morning doing that. And then, oh yeah. And the fourth one is I was still doing acting and modeling part-time while I was in Toronto and Vancouver. So right. yeah, those, those are the four jobs I had during school. And yeah. And then really heavily in the summers in between school, when I was back in Vancouver, I was doing film industry work and yeah acting and modeling stuff so that was pretty good money too keeping busy though yeah, yeah. so I, i'd say i think i saved probably ten thousand dollars before i graduated school and um the deal with my parents was that because people will probably say oh you just didn't have to pay for anything in school and lucky you lucky you well i didn't have to pay for everything but i did have to pay for some things so because i was going wanting to go to, i really wanted to go to school in toronto rather than in vancouver my parents said okay well We'll pay for the tuition, but if you're going to be living in an apartment and flying back and forth and all that stuff, like you're going to have to figure out the rest or the majority of the rest because we're not paying for a, your own apartment for you and stuff in another city when right. you're in school and you're not having an income and you could be going to school at UBC or something locally in Vancouver and living at home. 
So that's where I had to pick up the slack. And yeah, luckily my four jobs covered it and more. <laughs> that's fair. Yeah, exactly. But I did, yeah, I did have a little bit of a mini crisis, a panic attack once when I was in college because I was running on three hours of sleep every day. And then I had exams and then, oh my gosh, it was just terrible. But anyway, so that was my first big investment. I ended up selling that place after nine years or something uh, last year, a year and a half ago before I moved to New York and I almost doubled my money. So oh. hundreds of hundreds of thousands of dollars that I made off of that one investment when I was really young. Good for you. Yeah. And just like yeah. not thinking about it. Just like, hey, put that in there, focus on school and all. And yeah. And I was away mm. actually most of the time I ended up being away too because I was living in London then. And then, you know, so it was rented out um, and I even made a little bit of money every month because it was making the mortgage and and all the other payments more more. yeah so i mean definitely real estate has been amazing for starting the growth of my net worth and i also really got into self-teaching by reading books and kind of watching tv with a grain of salt and taking notes on the vocabulary and looking them up but i mean that was like the super keener version of how to do that stuff because also back in the day I didn't have a lot of resources or I didn't know of a lot of resources that was like a book like mine that's very casual conversation with each – the end of every chapter of my book even has a section called My Two Cents, which luckily I got that funny quick little name from a girlfriend of mine who – actually, we work together and she's a copywriter, but it's My Two Cents with a C-E-N-T-S and it's like a one and a half page, like the Coles notes of that entire chapter. So if you read my whole book cover to cover, it would take you three to five hours. But if you just read for five minutes, the Coles section or the My Two Cents of every chapter, you would get the basics and you would know a hell of a lot more now than you used to know. And that's kind of what I didn't have growing up. So also why I wanted to write the book. Right. Um, so long, yeah, long story short, that would be the best money investment I've made so far that passively grew a lot over time. And then well done. Yeah. The best investment I've made in myself is with definitely my mental and physical health. So I've done, um, I grew up ski racing, a competitive athlete. Oh, sweet. I've done a lot of different athletic things since then. Yeah, and you know, I'm so grateful to my parents for that. And I say to a lot of kids and parents with young kids that if you can get your child involved in an individual or a team sport while they're young, it's so important. I mean, I learned respect for my coaches and my peers, respect for timelines, training, grit, like how to up on the hill. I didn't, I was at six in the morning or at five o'clock at night or four o'clock after school you know, two days a week and every weekend in high school, I would much rather have been partying or going to the movies <laughs> or the mall with my friends, but it was raining and it was freaking cold and it was disgusting outside. And I had to get to the hill because my coach would make me run laps in my boots or hike up the oh, mountain gosh. in my boots <laughs> if I was late, you know, like it was, yeah. it's, and every kid I think that had a, a competitive sport to a certain level had that experience and all of them I know now are all very successful people in their own individual spaces and they are driven and they understand the importance of respect and competing and winning and losing, winning and losing in a positive way. It's like it's like cons constructive feedback for your life and learning how to get through those things as a child really sets you up well as an adult. So investing yeah. the time in myself physically and mentally through sport through therapy, I'm not at all ashamed to say that I listen to a lot of like self-help um, or therapeutic kind of podcasts. Oh, good. Yeah, don't be ashamed. I do as well. And oh, I've, yeah. I've taken time to go to therapy. I think it's it's worthwhile. 
Yeah. Yeah. And it's, you know, for all different types of things, for self-image things, for grief and loss. There's been a couple of different defining moments in my life with loss and grief. And yeah, like it's really important to get professional help with those things because otherwise you could be creating mental setbacks that you don't even realize. So yeah, I think those your mental and physical health is so important. And mm-hmm. then I, I talk a lot about health as well. If I'm the editor-in-chief of a new website called The Wealthy Mindset, W-E-L-L-T-H-Y. So combining the whole wellness and wealth type of stuff. Oh, cool. Yeah, I just got yeah, that. Yeah, and it's actually a it. media company <laughs> approached me to and asked me if I'd like to be editor-in-chief of a new personal finance website for them. And so that's why I got involved with that just this past year. And yeah, it's, it's such a hot topic because millennials and young people, everybody is so into all these wellness websites and what's the next patch I should be doing or vitamin I should be taking or drink or bar, you know, whatever. Everybody's doing infrared yoga now, whereas everybody used to do Bikram hot yoga, like all these different wellness things and spending money on all these different wellness things. And yes, some of that investment in yourself, your physical self, your mental self um, is good just for the physical mental side. But those positive decisions really make a difference in your financial decisions as well. And there's so much correlation to that. I have done so much research and studying. We write about all these different things in articles on the website. And um, I write about it in my social media on Instagram, like the connections between wellness and wealth and wealth building and millionaires and millionaire mindset, like all these things are really, really interconnected. Oh, that's a fascinating topic for me too. So yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, no, it, it really is. So it's so important to see those statistics. Like I'll give you some, for example, so people with a net worth, they pull, they pulled, you know, two, 2,500 people that have a net worth of $3 million or more. And these people, the majority of the results of these people is they sleep a minimum of six and a half hours a day. They read 30 minutes a day. They watch less than two hours of TV a day. They exercise four days a week. They generally eat 150 calories of less junk food than average people or people with a net worth of less than $3 million. So that's sort of like a bunch of these little statistics that I've pulled together that really shows there's a correlation between what is known or thought of as conventional success, which is financial success, and then having, you know, a mindset of wellness, physical and mental wellness. Yeah. Feeling successful in your, in your own head, right? That's so important. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, th- thanks for sharing that. You just kind of spitballed them off, but it those definitely stand out because I've been spending a lot of time, especially in the last few years, reading again and uh, made that an important part of my day. But it's so true, just these, these habits. It's just kind of, you know, maybe believing in yourself that you're worth doing them and spending the time. I think that goes a long way. Yeah. But another, th- I just wanted to touch on therapy. Like it, it, it's a great way, I guess, for, because there's so many, so many emotions that we have as people and we just don't really know or have words for them sometimes. And that's what getting that extra help can really explain to you or just put that explanation in front of you for something that you just couldn't put your like finger on before. Yeah, and it's such yeah. a, you know, it's even such a hot topic, not just direct therapy, but behavioral investing is a, a an area of the financial industry. And there's, I have a couple of friends of mine that are actually financial therapists. So they, they discuss with people sort of their history oh, with money, so cool. how they grew up with money, and then what roadblocks they have mentally with money. Like they're not, they don't think they're worthy of something else. And I talk about this at the beginning of my book too, where I think there's two different types of financial hopelessness. People that, and I just... I'm very straight up in my book. People that need to give their head a shake, the section is called. And then the other section is called 
um, they need to break the cycle. So people that might just need to give their head a shake, it's, you know, overspenders, people that are living outside of their means because they are overspending in the wrong areas, not people that are living outside of their means because they're trying to feed their children and they're still, you know, buying everything from Walmart and everything on sale and they're being as good as they can with their money. It's people right. that need to give their head a shake are those that do not have the right financial constraints, budgets, and they need to learn some of those basics and why those basics are so important. And their parents maybe need to stop giving them money. <laughs> or that, yeah. Or they've been, you know, financially supported their whole life and they haven't really figured out how to do that on their own yet. And I yeah. kind of talk about that. And there's no shame in that either. I mean, three quarters of the That's U.S. True. and Canada yeah. have credit card debt and the average on that is $16,000. So it's like, it's, and I have friends tell me all the time, hey, Leanna, I do have like $5,000 left of credit card debt. And I'm like, That's cool, girl. Like, let's just fucking deal with it like we that that yes, is not a lot compared yeah. to the average or compared to you know people that have student loan debt and you know the whole thing with student loan debt just make the payments on time regular yeah. on time don't overpay them because the money that you have left over over and above your regular payments you should invest that because you'll make more money investing that than you would be saving by paying off your interest rate on your student loan early because you right the the interest you can make or money returns you make on investing could be, you know, the average with S&P 500 over the last 50 years is about 10% a year. And your student loan debt is probably only costing you about 4%. So there's sort of a, a 6% more you can make investing. And these are very general terms, not always the case. Obviously, every year it goes up and down. Yeah. But yeah, you can make a little bit more money investing that extra money rather than taking the extra money and paying off your loan faster. Um, so that's sort of the general consensus by personal finance experts on that one. But um, yeah, there's no shame in, in needing to give your head a shake and just kind of learn, relearn some of these basics again. Because yeah, like what, what you just mentioned, I have a lot of friends growing up and a lot of friends here in New York that their parents never said, hey, you know, you shouldn't buy those shoes not on sale. My mom was like, you're getting everything on sale. And if it's not from your older sister as a hand-me-down, like it is 100% got to be at least 50% off. So <laughs> it's got to be a really good deal. She was a hustler deep. in retail. Yeah, yeah, she was definitely hustling in the retail. And I am too. Like I'm not, I'm not ashamed to say I have lots of designer bags and shoes, but I get a lot of them on Tradesy or The Real Real or all the big department stores in the U.S. You can definitely still get even designer stuff at minimum 50% off. Like it's it's pretty cool that you can do that if you have yeah. the financial means to. And then yeah, people that, that what I think is a really much harder financial mindset and behavioral finance type of topic is around um, people that need to break the cycle. And when I, I mean that, I mean more of a socioeconomic cycle that they grew up in. They grew up around maybe, you know, their cousins, brothers, sisters, mother, father, never had any expectation of them other than to maybe drop out of high school and become a drug dealer. Or like, you know, that's an extreme example, but like to, to never make more than minimum wage, to never actually save money, to credit card debt is normalized, payday loans are normalized. And there are many hundreds of millions of people that also deal with that. And I've yeah. done studies and, and case studies and research and been on the ground doing, you know, door-to-door -door type of work on that as well it's called you know the yeah. underbanked community or communities in yeah. the u.s and canada there's a lot of people that live that way and no one ever expected of them to do anything different or better so those people really need some real basic financial education and they need the hope to see that hey if you call someone like me or you or anywhere else one day and say hey i would love 
to be your assistant. I would love to learn from you. I would, you know, if you keep knocking on doors like that, someone's going to give you a job. Someone's going to give you an opportunity. And sometimes with things like that, all it takes is like one opportunity to turn your life around or one new person so true. to mentor you. To yeah, turn like your one life person believing. Exactly. Yeah. Someone that believes that you can be more than what was expected of you. So those are the sort of two buckets that I tend to put financial hopelessness and that mindset stuff into is the give your head a shake and um, break the cycle. But yeah, it's I mean, this whole behavioral investing, behavioral finance field, um, if people are more interested in I don't know if you ever listened to Daniel Crosby's podcast, Standard Deviations. But it's, No, I hadn't heard of him, but I will. Yeah, it's a really good resource for that stuff. Okay, cool. Um, yeah, sorry. I know we got off topic. I could, I tend to ask sometimes questions within questions, but that, that, that's a great answer. You have a lot of in-depth knowledge, firsthand experience there. So thanks for sharing. Um, and then I guess we'll get to your third investment out of the way. Yeah. So I would say, so we've done, what have we done? Money was real estate to start off with. Real estate and then your, your mental and physical. Yeah, yeah mental and physical. Two. And then I would just say the investment in relationships, like it's, you know, we all hear these sayings. It's not who you know, it's what you know, and your network is your net worth. I've talked about this already, uh, even on this podcast a couple times, like when it comes to when I was very young and all these guys calling me the hawk and taking me out for drinks. And I don't even know if I was legal. Some of it, I was like only 18. Like, you, but know. you showed up, right? Imagine I showed up. Nobody was asking. Uh, yeah. I thought it was pretty cool. But um, yeah, I, I, stay, I still stay in touch with those guys. And I was then I was back at school in Toronto and then coming back to Vancouver. And then I would be off in London and there's still, you know, people are asking, hey, how are you doing? What are you doing over there? Come back to Vancouver over the holidays. Make sure <laughs> I take a few of them out to coffee and I, I foot the bill. I buy the lunch. I buy the coffee. And really showing those people that are maybe more senior to you, more seasoned and knowledgeable in your field, that you really value their time because everyone is so pressed for time and they have their own families, their own stress, their own problems, their own gym to get to that they never get to. Like everybody's got their own shit to deal with. And I think showing your appreciation, especially, you know, if they're more senior to you, or you're trying to learn and be mentored by them, that you really, really appreciate their time. And that's just an easy way of doing that. Or, you know, sending a, an e-card or a physical card, a thank you card after you meet with them, um, or at the holidays, wishing them and their family well, and, you know, things like that makes such a big difference. And True, yeah. I can't even tell you how many times my valuing my relationships and my persistence in keeping those relationships or building new relationships from those I've met through business cards. I carry business cards with me everywhere. My girlfriends laugh or like out of the club or out at a restaurant. I like, I always pull out the card, like start talking to someone at the bar while we're waiting for the table, pull out a card. You never know who people are. Yeah, you never so know true. who they know. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, you know, and sometimes it's, it's the most genuine starter conversations where you're both just hanging out at the bar, waiting for your table together that you can create those genuine relationships because you're not just, you know, at a networking conference. It's just a natural introduction. So I always carry business cards. I really, really, really value my relationships. Even at the front of the book, you can see I met, I dedicated my entire book to all the mentors and all the people I've ever taken out to coffee and lunch in my life. Because back then when I was Amazing. yeah making $29,000 a year, I don't think anybody would have thought, maybe they would have, but I never would have thought that I would now be living in New York City, entrepreneur, best-selling author on TV. And running your own business. Yeah, doing yeah, all this exactly. stuff on all the financial networks. Like it really 
that's what's been very cool about now officially moving to New York. It's kind of like I have I'm having a lot of these moments where it's like my little girl dreams are coming true. Like it's kind of it's kind of crazy, but all of that is thanks to the people that I've met along the way and who have supported me. Yeah. You can't stress that enough the how important those good quality relationships are and it's like when you say the energy if you just pick that up off of somebody that is interested in the same kind of thing you can chat with them and get so deep and it's just like wow handy to have that card to give it to them so they'll remember you yeah absolutely and i think people will ultimately appreciate that professionalism as well yeah it's true um yeah gosh you've it's it's amazing that you've had the your your sights set on these goals and you've been able to to get closer to them and make them happen now do you mind sharing a little bit about what blackhawk financial does Yeah. So when I moved back um, from London, which was my last full-time job, uh, I was doing investor relations consulting and some transactions consulting there with mostly FTSE 100. So the 100 largest companies on the London Stock Exchange, you know, multi- Oh, is that how FTC is called? FTSE they call it? Yeah, FTSE. Is that for short? Okay. Yeah, yeah. FTSE 100. And and yeah, so the 100 biggest on the, the LSE, the London Stock Exchange. And so yeah, like the biggest- public hedge fund in the world was one of my clients. So really, really cool experiences and clients like that in all different sectors. And then when I came back to Vancouver after quitting that job, I just decided I wanted to live in North America and I wasn't sure what I was going to do. I ended up flying to New York and being a finalist to be on The Apprentice actually at Trump Tower with everyone there. When was this? So this was how many years ago? Probably like six years ago now. Do you remember Um, which season it was? And they well, they ended up only doing Celebrity Apprentice oh, when I got okay. there and had the meeting. Yeah. And it was like, oh, we're only going to do Celebrity Apprentice now. They gave me another option, which was not what I wanted to do. Um, but anyway, yeah. So mm. I had all these crazy experiences, kind of trying to figure out what I wanted to do now that I'm back in North America. And I ended up, again, through my network, through a referral, just um, being connected with a company that needed someone to do some marketing for them and distribution in Canada of an American an American financial product out of Chicago. And I, yeah, I just started kind of being a consultant on my own. And then I got another client, another client. And I was like, okay, well, for tax purposes, it makes more sense to start a corporation in Canada and um, actually have a business out of this. So it kind of came naturally again through my network is my net worth. And yeah, that's how it got started. So now we do a whole range of investor relations, marketing and business development consulting for people in all spaces of financial services, just because I've been contacted by a bunch of kind of, you know, different things that I wasn't really working on before since my book came out and the publicity of that and everything. But it's pulling you in different directions. I guess you're now kind of honing in on what your expertise is. Yeah, I mean, that you know, that's actually been a challenge for me to sort of when people are like, what do you do? I'm like, well, I get asked to do a lot of things. And I usually say yes. Um, Yeah, I'm pretty versatile. Yeah, not not really in the public stuff yet, like not with the influencer, like I'm not posting about like skinny Mm teens or any of that crap. But um, but yeah, in terms of financial clients, because I'm so interested in the space, I'm so lucky that I'm as passionate about my career as what I do on the weekends. Like they say that, you know, you're the luckiest person in the world if the same things that you read and watch the news on during the week day to day for your job is the same stuff that you're watching on the weekend. And okay, I'm yeah, recording sure. Mad Money with Jim Cramer every day for the last 10 years and watching it, writing in my little notebook and you know american greed and like all these kind of business documentaries and stuff shark tank and all of that and i love it all and yeah weekends or weekdays 
the content is usually pretty the same with some Real Housewives thrown in there as well. <laughs> Good. You got to keep that sanity with a with a bit of that thrown in the mix. Yeah. Yeah. Got to have some of the the no brainer time too. <laughs> I have a hard time even even making time for that. I think it, it's good though. You gotta have something to laugh at that's not too serious as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Nice. Well, yeah, because it's just nice to hear other ideas of what you know what can become a career or a job in the financial space too. So that, that's awesome that 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 you've been able to yeah that you've done that. So hold on, I got a few questions. I do want to touch base on the coronavirus though. So we are March 16th, 2020 right now. And Canada has just announced that they're banning international travel or they're closing borders for people that are not Canadians. I guess just how, how is this affecting you? And does it change your strategy or your plays at all? Well, um, yeah, I mean, with that being said, I definitely because I expect that the American government will do something similar. And I don't want to be not allowed back into this country. So I'm not leaving right. I'm not leaving New York to go to Vancouver, which is too bad because mm-hmm. you know, I think when anyone's kind of under a little bit of health stress or scare, you might want to be with your family. But um, no, I'm gonna stick it out in New York. And I think, you know, here's some questions I think people should consider and ask themselves in any time of financial stress or, you know, a health scare like this that's causing financial stress and volatility in the markets, we say. Um, and the volatility is really mm-hmm. high. I mean, everyone, I think also, and this is not just me saying this, has been mentioned in the media as well, that everyone has been talking about, oh, we've been in a bull market for 10 years, the longest bull market ever. And when are we going to get a recession? When is it? When is this bear market going to come? Now we're officially in a bear market over the last week. But everyone's been saying like, what's going to be the thing that does it? And And right now it's coronavirus that's done it. It's this virus that's affecting the economy greatly and is affecting the market the market levels of volatility. So people things people should be asking themselves right now is like for example, do you have any debt? Is that going to be putting a further stress on your life right now depending on what your job is? So if you are an hourly worker in the hospitality industry or I mean, I have a girlfriend that unfortunately she's like a perfect double whammy of unfortunateness. She's an MBA dancer in DC and she also is a, a fly bar instructor at Fly Bar Flywheel and in the US right now all of the workout studios are now closed as of today uh, yeah, and uh, and all the games are postponed so all of like you you may have seen the news about how Mark Cuban is supporting the hourly workers for game day at American Airlines Center in Dallas cuz he owns the Dallas Mavericks that NBA team so he's supporting putting up a fund to support some of those hourly workers but there are tens oh, of thousands I didn't thousands. know that but good for Mark Mark's Yeah yeah so we said that last week um, I was actually hosting on Yahoo Finance on Thursday which was not which is now known as Black Thursday and we were talking about that <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, so he's obviously supporting the people that support his team on game days, which is wonderful. But yeah, there's, you know, mm-hmm. a girlfriend like that of mine that if you also had student loan payments that are regular to make, loan or not loan, your rent that's regular payment to make, and you don't have an emergency fund set up, this is why people have emergency funds. So yeah. here's the thing. Yeah. Okay, so things you need to, again, things you need to assess and consider right now, how much debt do you have? Are you going to be able to continue, continually regularly service your debt? So are you going to be able to make your student loan payments on time? Are you going to be able to make your mortgage payment on time? And are your spending habits currently aligned with that? Like if you're going shopping online, whether it's Amazon or Nordstrom or wherever you're buying from at a rate of you know $300 a month, 
with your current job and your current income, if that gets affected, are you going to be able to keep up with that? So you really have to take a look at your current spending habits, if that's reasonable, and what kind of debt that you have on your own personal balance sheet. Um, and then also making sure if right. you if you don't already, now I'm sure that people will see that this whole emergency fund that everybody talks about, you should have an emergency fund before you start investing, an emergency fund of you know three to six months of your very basic life spending needs like food, shelter, water uh, before you start investing. Because if something like this happens and yeah, you, you are getting unpaid leave or unpaid vacation time, or you're an hourly worker or a shift worker, and you're not going to be able to make money. That's why people have three to six months saved. Yeah, because we're. Sure. I mean, we're all still guessing, and I'm sure you've heard too that you know, based on a lot of historical you know health scares and stuff, that this should be over in the next three to six months, and you'll be back to work and making money again. That's why. Yeah, people, hopefully. Yeah, but like literally, this is the this is the best example, the best and obviously saddest for many people example of why you need to have an emergency fund. It is not just because if you break your leg or your car breaks down and you need something new. Like those are all the kind of like common examples. Yeah. But this and you know this has never happened before. No one could have ever forecasted this. But it's that a reality fund, check. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's so important. And then you know, for a lot of companies like in the hospitality space, in the airlines. Um, travel, all of that, a lot of these companies might go bankrupt and you might not have a job at all. You might get laid off. What does your job space look like? Do you need to start mentally preparing for that um, if you think it is a very real reality that if your company stops making money completely for the next three months you're and you might lose your job? Well, first of all, you should ask the owner of your company or your manager if there's any likelihood of that. And even think True. about it intelligently question, yourself. Like, just ask. Well, for sure. Yeah. It's, it's such a hard time right now. But you have to, if you haven't already saved up a ton of money, you have to really think about your six months, six yeah. months down the road right now. What is that going to look like for you and your family? And if you need to already start looking for a new job or some side hustles and side gigs to help you out in the meantime or to transition to a new area, if your area is going to be really hurting for even a year after this. Um, because of lack of revenues, you know, maybe you need to start looking at LinkedIn jobs or, you know, those types of websites right now to see what some other options or opportunities might be. Yeah, that's a great point. And it, it definitely for, for people that had never had a care about money, especially maybe the what generation is it millennials and generation or genu? Sorry, yeah, it would be millennials and then maybe generation X. But you know, mm -hmm. those that maybe became 15 or 16 started spending money in, in the late, like 2010, and they've never seen anything like this. It's enough to, mm -hmm. to get that generation to at least pay attention. But um, yeah, I mean, hopefully it makes people realize that take a break sometimes and look inside as opposed to YOLO, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, you know, that's the thing I have. There are, you know, people are always saying to me as well, even though they know I'm a financial expert and I'm sort of like the last person you should ever, you know, boast about your your debt to. Being honest about your debt and trying to find a way out of it is great. Yeah. But I do have people from time to time that'll say to me like, well, you know, I have like, you know, a bunch of credit card debt right now, but I'm in my 20s and I'll pay it off eventually and I need to live my life. Yeah, like YOLO, like I'm going to – um, Tulum or I'm going to Coachella or I'm going to Burning Man and I'm like um, cool do you as long as you just be aware yeah. that if you go online and search like interest calculator that that trip that you're putting on your credit card right now that you already have debt on 
or even if you're this is just the first debt you're going to put in your credit card and you know you don't have enough money to pay for it at the end of the at the end of the month when your balance is due you need to calculate at 19%, 21%, 25%, whatever your interest rate on your credit card is, how much that trip is actually costing you every month more and more and more. Yeah, so and then true. it's compounding with all the other shit you already spent money on and have debt on. Yeah. And it is astonishing. And I can promise you that you would take a double think about if you should actually go on that trap that trip and YOLO because you only live once. You can also only live once in a shitty, shitty life down the road. If you have a lot of debt and bad credit and all your friends are now buying apartments and houses and you're still living in credit card debt. And, you know, it's also, it affects everything. It affects being able to get a new lease on an apartment. It affects being able to get a mortgage on buying an apartment down the road. Yeah, your trustworthiness and the rate, exactly. Yeah, it, so many getting things. a job, you get your credit checked. Like, there's a lot of reasons why you shouldn't YOLO and ignore the inevitable financial consequences. Yeah, I mean, if, if they understood, they definitely would probably. But it, the other thing, too, is, yeah, that's perspective. Like, imagine... Like you're having fun now in your 20s. Like you're going to live another 60 years, most likely. Yeah. <laughs> People have a hard time and that's such a slippery slope with the credit card debt, yeah. I tell you. It's, it is the one thing that most people really fall into the downward spiral of in college and that they can't get out of until their 30s when they're making more money. And that's in, that's in a hopeful situation. Like, and, and that was never- Yeah, really... and the mental toll that has on you as well. Well, like yeah, mental... exactly. That that really holds you back from going to an investing 101 workshop or going to a webinar online provided by your bank for free to to learn about the basics of money and investing. Because you're, you're thinking in your head, I'm a loser, I'm a loser. I've, I've got this credit card. I've got to get rid of that debt first. I've got to get rid of that anyway before I can even learn about the other stuff. No, like keep learning because all that other stuff is going to sh- give you hope and show you that you can save an extra $200 a month. Just don't like instead of going out four weekends in a row at 50 bucks each, go out only every second weekend, save 100 bucks, put it towards your credit card. Yeah. Like it seems so small, some of those things, but when you're talking about putting it against credit card debt, it really cuts back on the interest and it helps so much. Yeah, it's so true. I, CTO of my company invited me to talk to his information systems class tomorrow. Unfortunately, it got canceled, but I'd set up my talk to show the student loan calculator. And a lot of people think of compound interest just positively, mm-hmm. but then showing them negatively just how dangerous it can be as well. So yeah, it, we're actually adding some resources to the wealthymindset.com. Um, and last week I was in Aspen, Colorado, and I was like just sending them a list of some of the calculators I want to add to the site and the resources. Yeah. And I specifically put compounding interest calculator, negative and positive. <laughs> it works both ways, people. It works both ways. Yeah. It's, it's so important. And like, honestly, I don't even think I realized because I've just always been debt averse. I never, thankfully, I've never had the debt. But when I was putting this together, I was like, holy shit, like I've, I really understand this now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then Einstein's got that quote, which I actually, this is probably one of my favorite quotes, is that those who understand compound interest earn it, those who don't pay it. Like, <laughs> so true. It's so true. Yeah. So, yeah. Wild. So. But yeah, th- thanks so much for sharing all that info because it's it's really no need to, if, if you're, I think, responsible with your money enough and you've managed it well, you don't really need, there's no huge cause for concern other than you know your your family relationships and things like that but 
Um, yeah. And this and this current market right now that we're in with this volatility, you know, today, again, I think we closed, actually, we broke Thursday's Black, Black Thursday record close did, today yeah. with the Dow um, being down 13%. And this this shit's scary. Like, it's real. And for people, for me, I'm more worried about my personal health and being stuck in New York with having no friends here and being in self-quarantine for until the summer, yeah. which I don't I know how I'm going to deal with. I'm much more scared of that than financial markets because I know I've studied these things. Everybody in this industry has studied these things. And we are here to tell people that are listening to this podcast or anyone that sees us on social media that this – not this exact thing, but similar things have happened before and it always comes back. And if you have a long-term investment horizon and you're starting to invest in some index ETFs to cover, you know, you know, basically you're investing in the entire index, some market, whether that's the S&P 500 or the TSX, and yeah, you're buying or total ETFs US investing market. that way. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Or, you know, or whether you're investing in individual stocks, which is definitely a much more advanced step two level of investing, that these things will come back. And the individual stock space is tougher because like I say, you know, some of these companies due to the lack of revenue from what's going on right now, they might go bankrupt. So that's why it's really important to diversify, be risk averse if you need to be. So if you need, if you do feel like you need to be more conservative, don't throw all your money into the stock market. Take your time. Yeah. But if you're a young person, I mean, there definitely are some opportunities to start laddering into a position, as we would say. Um, yeah. Dollar cost averaging. Dollar cost yeah. averaging, <laughs> yeah, into the market right now if you've had some cash on the sidelines. And that's just my my opinion. I don't manage client money. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not a financial advisor. So just that disclaimer there. But yeah, I mean, a lot of – there's been those memes around for years now. I've been seeing them. You probably have too of every millennial – like frothing at the mouth, every millennial waiting for the next recession or the next downturn in real estate, in stocks, in anything so that we can finally – it's been 10 years. It's been going up, 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 up. And we've been waiting for our opportunity to get in on the market, get in on real estate, like start investing and really having some of those great returns that our parents had. And, you know, it's good to have those opportunities. And that doesn't mean it's all going to be up and up well and good from here on out. What we might get another day in two days or in two months or, you know, in three months that's even down more than where we are now. And you're going to be, oh my gosh, why did I do it? Why did I start? But in two years, in five years, in 10 years, in 20 years, in 30 years, in 40 years, that compounding interest, compounding your returns yeah. is going to be beneficial for you. That's a great point that you made. Just that financial understanding makes that the secondary worry in, in your mind too, which is huge. Like I, on Thursday, I had lunch with my mom and she told me, yeah, your father and I are going to the bank. We're going to sell all of our funds and take the money out. I was like, no, <laughs> stop that right now trying to explain and you know of course though my parents are different situation than me they're close mm-hmm. to, like my mom's close to retirement and but it's just like no like trying and I, eventually I did share enough perspective for her to decide not to uh, my dad agreed as well but it's exactly that it's just not having that sound foundation on on how the markets do work and um, also just balancing yeah making sure that in those situations keep your checking account a little bit more cushiony if you need to um Mm -hmm. but yeah no i and i like that role that you mentioned it's like we are kind of those out there that want to remind everyone that like this is the time this is how you get rich start yeah 
and yeah, you know, it's, and again, this is all based on your risk profile. So how conservative yeah. or aggressive an investor are you? How close are you to retirement? Like, you know, I, I feel a hundred percent for baby boomers and people that are, you know, our parents age or closer to retirement, but what are we going to do right now? Because how long is this going to take to recover? You know, because even if say, for example, your mom did sell on Thursday, the market was already down t- over 20% from the week before. Yeah. So your parents already lost, if they had sold everything then, they would have already lost 20% of their retirement fund. That's big. That's really big. Yeah. So like- And well, and then their thought was that they would buy back in when it's finally going up again. And I was no. like, well, no, if you're going to sell now, you want to buy back in next week on the worst day of that and, week. And, and you like, can't oh. even time that. That's why like I, I you, you cannot, exactly. even the professionals, like, I had friends doing the exact Impossible. same thing. I had the same conversation on Friday with a girlfriend of mine here in New York. And she said, oh, yeah. I sold some of my stuff yesterday. I'm going to buy back in. I'm like, okay, so you sold down 20%. And you're expecting to time the market perfectly from when it's down at 25, 30. You don't, you're not even a trader and the traders can't even yeah. figure it out. So like there, I'm not trying to figure it out. I, I have had cash on the sidelines waiting. That's what I've been allocating to my investments right now, but I have not been selling things. And, you know, if you, for whatever reason, maybe you do have some, you know, positions or funds that have been up 50% in the last five years or something and you want to sell a bit of that to buy some things that are on sale as people would say or you know a little bit yeah. cheaper valuation than they were six months ago and that you know that is something you can consider doing but don't get out of don't be hopping in and out of positions to find something at a lower price because yeah less is more you are not going to be able to it's it's a losing game every single piece of research you ever google about a read will tell you that there's not a lot of fake news on that market timing is not a strategy it's just not so you can take market opportunities yeah, like but now. not market timing. Yeah, yeah exactly. Wishful market thinking. opportunities, not trying to get perfect timing. You will probably not find the perfect bottom, but at a day like today where we're already down significantly over the last week and we're going down again, that's going to be, you know, you maybe didn't get the get the bag at 80% off, but you got, or I don't know, less than that. I should use the numbers that are similar. You maybe <laughs> didn't get the bag at, at 40% off, but you're maybe getting it at 28% off and the rest of the market didn't get it on sale at all. Yeah, so, exactly. So, you know, you got you to gotta think about things in that way and you can't be too overly confident or aggressive or you're never going to get into the game at all that's it or you're just gonna or you're just gonna be having sold all your positions and you're you're buying you're literally doing the opposite of what everybody says you you literally just bought low (laughs) and then you ended up being too late because all the institutions and professional investors got the ump on you and then you you sorry you sold low and then you're gonna end up buying high again and you're gonna miss that first day of the comeback and that day is always the the biggest right usually and that's yeah. always the biggest and you're not a professional, you're not watching it fast enough, you don't know what you're doing and I don't know, you know, none of us know what we're doing enough either, but we can do a little bit. Yeah. So it's about opportunities, not perfect timing. No, well, that's it. It's about recognizing them too. So yeah, thanks uh, Thanks so much for sharing all that input. So where can people find more about you, Leanna? So um, I am majority of the time on Instagram, Leanna, L-E-A-N-N-A underscore hawk like the little hawk in Blackhawk Financial, H-A-W-K. So Liana underscore H-A-W-K on Instagram. Um, you can feel free to add me to LinkedIn too if you want, Liana Hawkins, and um, Twitter as well, Liana Blackhawk. And I'm happy to answer DMs, questions, um, 
whatever people need. I'm I'm not selling any programs or anything like that yet. I have something <laughs> in mind and in the works, maybe for later this year. But um, the book is on Amazon, Young, Fun, and Financially Free, and 40,000 bookstores as well. And again, all the proceeds go to the at we movement on Instagram, the We Foundation. Amazing. Thanks. Well, I'll definitely send every, every all the listeners to go check that out. I will be checking that out myself too. And I'm going to grab myself a copy of your book at some point. Thank you. Just uh, I I enjoy reading. You're very welcome. Yeah. And um, yeah, again, there's, I think on my Instagram, I've hit the limit on my money tips highlight. There's over, there's a hundred there because Instagram, I just found out, <laughs> limits you to a hundred money tips. There's so much value added information there. I wish people used highlights more or looked at them more. Because if you flip through the highlights of money tips on my Instagram, you will learn maybe as much as what's in the book. There's so university much degree. Almost. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like that's some really solid stuff in there. So go to the highlights and um, and yeah, check out the book. There's a whole bunch of free um, exercises and stuff that go with the book as well through smart link yeah. that you sign up through on on my website youngfunfree.com. So yeah, it's really really worth your time to read a quick book like that. Get the basics and just get started. Start as soon as you can. You're going to be the rich dad, poor dad of our generation. <laughs> I hope so. My agent tells me he wants me to be the next Susie Orman. So we'll see. You're on the right track. <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks so much for coming on, Leanna. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. Thank you so much to everybody who took the time to listen to this podcast. You can find out more information about Leanna in the show notes. I will leave them there for you. You can go check out her book, Young, Fun, and Financially Free and see what else she's got going on. But I want to thank you so much for listening. You can find this podcast at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Breaker, Radio Public, and Anchor.fm slash Highly Invested. If you could go leave a review, that would be fantastic or rating, but ideally if you can just pass it on and uh, if this brought you any value, share it with others so hopefully you can bring some value to them too. And uh, we can just help everybody get a little bit more confident with their money and in themselves. So this is your host, Jordan Highly signing off. Stay highly invested in yourselves, everybody. Until next time.